following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 16, verse 1 to 33. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Praise the Lord. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish or joy that a human being has been born into the world. She also, so also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one, will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, 
For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the Bible on the Holy Spirit, because we can't actually see the Holy Spirit, but you knew that. We started the week before Pentecost Sunday by looking at what the Old Testament taught about the Holy Spirit and how his being poured out upon God's people was anticipated. And one of the things that struck me, I don't know if it's, it struck you, and I've, I've tried, to, I tried to bring it to your attention when we looked at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, is how he was present and part of creation and how he brings about the the recreation the restoration of the creation because that's actually what the bible is all about the bible is about um, god revealing to human beings that not only did he create the world with a purpose and created human beings with a purpose to represent him on earth but because of our the, the first representatives of god adam and eve because of their rebellion against him um, that brought what, all that's wrong with planet Earth into existence. And the rebellion of the first human beings not only brought God's curse upon the human experience, but it affected the entire planet. But God was not going to leave our condition and the condition of Earth like that, but determined that he would bring about the great restoration of planet Earth that we finally see at the end of the book of Revelation. We see the heavenly Jerusalem coming from heaven to earth and God dwelling with people from all the nations of the world. And all that's anticipated in the Old Testament, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would bring about this great restoration. Now we learn in the New Testament that there would be a process of restoration. Uh, what the people had anticipated was that when Messiah would come, God would bring about the complete restoration at that time. And that really caused a lot of people to stumble over uh, what Jesus was saying and doing. Not understanding that he had to die for our sins, rise from the dead first, a solo resurrection, in anticipate of the great res resurrection. We always uh, mention in the Apostles' Creed week by week, that we anticipate the resurrection of the dead. Well, the Jewish people thought that Messiah would come and that great resurrection would come at that time. Not that one person would rise and inaugurate, bring about the beginnings of a process of God's great restoration. 
And he continues to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so last week, we looked at some elements of what the Holy Spirit does. As we began to look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, we saw that he births us into God's family. Without the Holy Spirit, we could not become God's children. And then he gives us access to the Father. Robin shared so well earlier about how God has enough love for all of his children. Well, we connect with that love through the Holy Spirit. His Spirit helps us understand his word. The Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. The Holy Spirit empowers us to minister, to, which is a fancy word uh, to, to, that describes serving God and serving people in God's power. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to do that. And we can't make a, a real, true, lasting dif- difference in people's lives apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And he also develops character in us. And we looked at, uh, at 11 verses in Galatians chapter 5 that talk about uh, the need to put off the old behaviors and put on new behaviors because of what the Holy Spirit is working in us. Now, originally I planned to continue talking about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to our behavior and, and um, how important it is to, to cooperate with the Spirit in, in allowing Him to develop godly character in us. But I decided I wanted to do something else first And it's some key things that the Holy Spirit does according to Jesus' words in what was just read for us in John chapter 16. And particularly, I want to look more closely at verses 7 through 15. So before I continue, let's pray one more time. Not one more time, you know what I mean. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we need your Spirit to help us understand your word. And you've given us your Spirit to help us understand your word. So we ask that we might experience that this morning, that we would know you better and have a better understanding of what we're doing here at this time in history, that you would fulfill your purposes in our lives, both individually and as a community. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7 reads, John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this idea of the Holy Spirit being the Helper is first mentioned in the previous chapter, 15, verses 26 and 27, where we read, But when the Helper comes, Jesus speaking again, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, it's very important to see that we do what the Spirit is doing. So Jesus is saying it's important for him to go away. So after he died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven to sit at what the Bible calls the Father's right hand, that place of authority in the heavenly realm, He had to do all that in order that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon God's people. And he's being called here the helper. Now, in some translations, we read a different word, and it's 
com a comforter, sometimes counselor. And, it's, and you've probably heard this Greek word because preachers love to, to speak about this. Um, it, the Greek word translated as helper here is paraclete, paraclete. And it has to do with coming alongside someone. It's the, the, the way to describe an advocate, like what a lawyer would do before, before the court on your behalf. He stands along, he or she, in, in, today he stands alongside, he or she stands alongside you, and, and he or she speaks to the official, to the court, on your behalf. And so the Holy Spirit represents us, he's the go-between between the Father and us. In, in some contexts, he could be referred to as the intercessor, pleading before the throne of God on our behalf. And so that's why in, in the English Standard Version that we're using here, the term helper is used because he's coming alongside us to do for us uh, things that we cannot do on our own and work through us to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. And notice in chapter 15, uh, he bears witness about Jesus. So his function is to put the spotlight on Jesus and bring to the world and to the church knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has really done and what Jesus is seeking to accomplish in our day. But in verse 27 of chapter 15, Jesus stresses that it's not just something the Spirit does and we sit back and just watch him do it. Of course, you can't see the Spirit, but we watch the effects of what he does. That's not, that's not our job. Our job isn't just to watch what the Spirit does. He says, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So the disciples, and we know from John 17, we talked about this a little while ago, some weeks ago, that that which he has in store for his followers in his day also is for those who come to know Jesus from their teaching, which includes us. And so, not only does the Spirit bear witness of Jesus, but we bear witness of Jesus. So that which the Spirit does, we also do. And we need to follow this. How does the Spirit do what He does? He does it through us. We've been seeing that. He empowers us to do that which He wants to do and what we're called to do. So we do, or we're supposed to do, what the Spirit wants to do through us. Okay, so let's go back to chapter 16. Jesus says in verse 8, and when he comes, that's the helper, he's going to do some things. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world. What, what does this mean? He's going to bring to the world a sense of something. The people of the world, globally, people will have an, will get an understanding of something and understand, oh, something's going on, or this is the way it really is, and, and that comes about by the Spirit. The Spirit's going to do this to the people of the world. And there's three things that Jesus lists here as what he's going to bring conviction of. The three things are sin righteousness, and judgment. And he's going to 
convict, bring a sense of understanding to, the, to people with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment in very specific ways that I'm going to explain in a moment. Now, as I share this, I'm only touching on, on these things. There's so much to what Jesus is saying here. I found it interesting. I've been, I've been thinking about this for a while, having to do with the Gospel of John. It's been common that if someone's never read the Bible before, people often uh, suggest they start with the Gospel of John. There's something about the Gospel of John that even for people who don't know the Bible, they seem to really get a sense of, of what the Gospel is all about and who Jesus really is and what God wants to do and that God loves them and all the rest. But it, when you start to actually think about what the Gospel of John is saying, and there's so many long teachings of Jesus in, in the Gospel of John, you realize how deep, profound Jesus' words and the, and the teachings in the Gospel of John really is. So, on one hand, it's almost, it's, it's, it's simple enough for a child to understand. At the same time, you could read it over and over and over again, and you will never plunge the depths of it. Now, I think that's true for the entire Bible, but there's just something about the Gospel of John. Once you start to really get into it, all of a sudden, you know, it starts off simple, and then it can get really, really confusing before we again seem to derive understanding from it. At least that's been my experience. So, he, Jesus expounds upon these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now remember, sin is about all the ways we human beings don't measure up to God's standards. It's the way we miss the mark in relationship to God and his ways. But he's zeroing in on a particular something about sin, about what the Holy Spirit does with convicting the world of sin, that he says very specifically, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And so, it seems here that the, what Jesus is saying is, the core of the human problem is our bent away from God and his purposes. Now, of course, how could anybody believe in Jesus unless they hear about Jesus? There's still most people in the world have never heard about him. And more and more in our day, people know nothing about him at all. They don't even know the, 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 the basic stories about Jesus. So how does the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, according to Jesus, because they do not believe in me? Well, that's, this is how Jesus sums up. It's the, our disconnection from God and his ways and which are summed up in Jesus, because what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus does is a reflection of who God really is. And people come into the world bent away from all that essence of goodness and truth and love. And so when the Holy Spirit works his convicting or convincing work of what sin is, what we come to realize is how far away we are from Jesus. And so people can only come to faith when they realize 
that they have this thing called sin, which means this, this, we can only reconnect with God when we realize how much we're disconnected from God. Most people are living life today thinking they more or less have it together. They, they know they have some problems, but they think they're doing okay enough. When actually we are so disconnected from God and a lot of people who call themselves Christians don't realize, don't realize that we can go through the motions and yet be truly disconnected from God. And that's what sin is. Because actually, so many of us don't really believe in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. Then we realize. And, and even as believers, I have discovered, uh, I, I, I mentioned this. When I'm struggling with something and I'm, I'm dealing with things and I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling down or I'm confused or I'm upset, I realize that what's going on is I've somehow pulled away from the reality in Jesus and I'm not believing in him as I should. And then the Holy Spirit comes and convicts me of that and leads me back to Jesus again. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, righteousness is the, is the correctness of life. It's being rightly aligned with what is right. And the world is crooked. It's not righteous. It's crooked. But what does, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, have to do with being convicted about how we are not right with God? Well, it's that Jesus returned to the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the proof of rightness because Jesus completely fulfilled the Father's desires by being completely true to his word and to the mission that he was called to. His absence and the result of pouring out of the Spirit, that's what going to the Father is all about. His return to the Father pours out the Spirit. That reality is because this man the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, was truly righteous. And that righteousness is then reflected through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' followers. Our being truly godly people and ministering to others in the power of the Spirit proves the righteousness of God in what he did through Jesus. The third one, Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So judgment, of course, is the, is the act of making wrong things right. Making wrong things right. And the making of wrong things right is most fully expressed by God by judging Satan. Judging the evil one. And notice that here is Jesus speaking. He has not yet died. He's not yet risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out. That's all going to happen. And he's preparing them for when that happens, which begins Acts 2, day of Pentecost. And we have been in the aftermath of that all this time. Notice he doesn't say the rule of this world will be judged. 
It's the ruler of this world is judged. So how is it that the ruler of this world is already judged? Well, it's because when every time the Holy Spirit accomplishes his work in people's lives, be it an initial turning to the Lord and becoming a child of God, or any kind of act of restoration, bringing marriages back together, restoring friendships, healing people physically, emotionally, spiritually, every act of power by the Holy Spirit is a a sign of the judgment upon the evil one. But how does the Holy Spirit bring conviction to the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? It's not simply that because of what Jesus did and the Holy Spirit comes, that somehow this blanket of vague awareness begins to emerge in people's lives. Well, it can happen where God brings conviction to people by the power of the Spirit upon people. But how does he... How does he normally do that? How does the Holy Spirit convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment? Well, it's through us. It's through us. God wants to do his work of power in the world of bringing conviction to people of sin, righteousness, and judgment through you and me. Then he says, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's saying to them, what I'm sharing with you is just the beginning. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so, through the Holy Spirit, God has so much more to communicate to his people. Now, he's not just speaking about God's revelation through the, through the New Testament. It's, he's speaking about the ongoing communication that he wants to have to his people that is given to us on an as-needed basis. So, he didn't tell his disciples everything that God's people would need to know for the, for the next only God knows how many centuries. Yes, there were things he would reveal to them that would be written down in the New Testament, but we need the revelation of the Spirit now and every now we've ever lived in, in every situation that we we, um, human beings have ever lived in. We need to hear from God's Spirit. We live in a very confusing time. And I wonder, have we been seeking God to hear what he's saying to us at this time. There's so much fear. And I'm convinced, convicted. I fear when I look away from God. I fear when I do not, I'm not really believing in his word. I fear when I'm not properly connected with God's Holy Spirit. If I was, I would not be fearful. I would be trusting. I would be a man of faith. And I'm very concerned that the level of confusion that has engulfed so many of us, of course, a lot of people think they're so sure of of what's going on and what we should do about it, but are we really hearing from God? 
We need to hear from God. And that's what this thing called church renewal is all about. That had to do with the set free retreat that um, several of us were on a few weeks ago. And it's, these are just some principles that, um, that have been shown to be helpful for so many individuals and churches around the world that we are looking into and to seeing how we can implement them, that we could be a community of God's people that hear God's voice and obey him. God wants us to be his instruments of convicting and convincing of, of people all around us that he is real and that he really did send his son who died for our sins and rose from the dead and has poured out his spirit so that we could know God as his children and experience his love and be conduits of that same love to others. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word and we pray that you would help us to hear that which we need to hear in this day. There are things that we were not ready to hear just a short while ago, and now we need to be ready to hear what you're saying to us. Lord, the world needs to hear what your Spirit is saying to and through your people. Open our hearts and our ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, and then give us the courage when you call us to speak, to speak out that which you have shown us for this day. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.